AVXL episode 155 was recorded on September 23rd, 2021. Let's talk about the whole I want a TV without apps problem. Dropping Comcast for YouTube TV, the first Calman certified projector, earplugs for concerts, and more on space toilets. Don't forget to email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us because we want to hear it. And thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welp Navy Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. Remember the Cambridge Audio Evo? They had a 75-watt and 150-watt model I was all charmed by earlier this year. Sure. And technically, it's a 150-watt and 300-watt model, but... Uh, John Atkinson ran some measurements in Stereophile, and it's the first measurements I've seen. First of all, I don't know if I realize that they're using Hypex amp modules in there. Those are Class D modules from a company called Hypex. They set some really spectacular performance standards. The guru behind that company started another company called Purify, which uh, is just starting to come out in various and sundry places. Um, these have been used by NAD and uh, some smaller manufacturers. Uh, ATI has adopted them, one of my favorite manufacturers of, of uh, amplifiers. Very, very, very impressive performance, except maybe for the headphone jack. But everything else is kind of world-class, and it's got a screen, and it's got a very, very nice volume knob. And as uh, anybody who's been listening to this show for a while knows, uh, I am a sucker for a quality volume knob. I understand. It's aesthetically very appealing. It would work nicely in a room where you don't want a big stack of audio gear. It is not inexpensive, but remember it is, you know, doing essentially acting as a preamp. It is a phono preamp. It is a digital streaming device. It is a amplifier. It has a display so you know what's playing if you're into that kind of thing. And they've put it in a very, very small package. So uh, not cheap, like $2,200 to $3,000, but pretty impressive performance and not all that out of line. When you just look at a standalone uh, Hypex powered amplifier, you know, that's where more than a third, I think, of that cost is going into there. I just wanted to say that I was like, I was, I've been waiting to see numbers. I've been waiting to hear one. Of course, every audio show I might've heard one at got canceled this fall. That said, I will be in SoCal uh, in Irvine for Can Jam this weekend, assuming I wake up in time to make my terrible, terrible flight out on Saturday morning. (laughs) I wish you luck. There will be all of the headphone news (laughs) next week. Nice. (laughs) I'm excited. I do like the look of the Evo 75. Oh, it's pretty. There's that front display. It's so clean looking. It is on the pricey side, but damn. That's uh, something I would easily consider putting on the list if you can get away with a nice two-channel setup. My 2.1. The performance is, <laughs> is really impressive. Is really impressive, you know. I, I don't know. I like... Uh, I, you know, it's The aesthetics are very, very nice, but the performance is what has me excited. So... I digress. Um, we have a question. John Backtool, uh, Mr. John Backtool, uh, Junior Mint 25, a lot of other people have asked for uh, television recommendations on buying a 1080p TV. And in this case, Mr. Backtool asked for a 1080p TV recommendation, one that was smart and one that was non-smart. And this ties into a question we get pretty regularly. 
And now I'm just going to step out of the way and let Robert educate you all. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. And there are a few things you should consider when shopping for a TV. And here are a few basic tips just to keep in mind. It is nearly impossible to find a TV without apps built in nowadays or... An operating system. Exactly. Or apps on an operating system. And with that said, you do not have to use any of those built-in features or so much as even connect the TV to the internet. And that would, in effect, make it a quote-unquote dumb TV. Right. So I wouldn't worry so much about the apps because they're not going away. That is a moneymaker for the manufacturers in a marketplace of televisions where the profits are already razor thin to, if not lost leaders across the board for nearly all manufacturers. <laughs> it's very hard to make money on TV. So expecting to find any modern TV without some form of built-in moneymaker like the apps is asking for a bit much. It's going to be very difficult. So skipping that, or just to say, hey, don't connect it to the internet if you want to avoid all of that. Consider the screen size and not so much as the screen resolution. When I say that, it's more about, hey, look, if you've got a wall uh, that can easily be filled with, say, a 55-inch screen size, then I would not be considering something like a 32-inch screen in that space, especially with appropriate viewing distances. It is always nice to have a larger screen just for the envelopment of the picture and to be able to take in all of the detail available nowadays with not only standard dynamic range, standard definition, or I should say at least 1080p resolution, up to 1080p resolution. Many of the TVs nowadays are very good at supporting 4K formats. And when you start to look at what kind of room environment you have, that can definitely play a factor into how your perception of the picture is going to be in addition to maybe what characteristics the TV should have to help with the room. And some rooms, it really helps to have all the light output possible and maybe even something like a high quality and reflective screen surface. If you're in one of those room environments where light is a good thing, that's where I would start paying more attention <laughs> to the specs. You really want to look for TVs that can put out at least 600 nits over 700 is really where good quality HDR programming starts to really look nice on the TV. And when right. you start talking about pricing, it can really go back and forth between LCDs and OLEDs. Uh, and this also plays back into the room environment. I find, generally speaking, for a brighter room, your LCDs are going to give you a little bit more bang for the buck because they can generally hit the brighter light output with good color and do it at a good value. Whereas with OLED, they are superior for darkroom viewing. It is amazing when you have perfect black on a screen in a room to really appreciate it. They're great in that respect, but they can be a little bit more expensive than the value LCDs out there. Now, when it comes to brands, uh, there are quite a few we talk about. And for 2021, I would say TCL, Hisense, and Vizio are my top three. Uh, just in terms of if you're looking to save a little money, have a terrific feature right. set, have options for gamers or non-gamers alike, screen sizes to fit just about any budget or room environment or size needed, and you really can't go wrong with any of them. However, I would say, though, if you are really looking for that quality HDR experience, that's where you can almost never have enough light output. And the brighter it gets, the better it can look. That's where I would then focus on something like a thousand plus nits for a, a quality HDR experience while still being on a budget. I want to give a shout out to TCL, especially, uh, you know, the Roku TVs are, you know, if, if you are in a situation where you do want to be able to use the operating system in a TV and you actually expect it to be maintained for an extended period of time, Roku seems to be doing a very, very good job 
their operating system is incorporated into the TCL TVs. And it was just updated this week to version 10.5. Yes. Oh my goodness. I have a TV I need to fire up and, and download the software update. The other thing to think about is, is when you're looking for TVs and you want high performance in terms of, uh, you know, the, the high end or, or any, for that matter, OLED display, for example, is not going to happen much below 48 inches. The LG 2021 OLED TVs start at 48 inches for the A1 and the C1 series. They don't even bother with the G1 or the ZX. Samsung is kind of in a similar situation. There's not going to be a huge HDR performance option in smaller screen sizes in no small part because that's just not where the money is. Uh, And I think also because, you know, you might be in a situation where perhaps you have a a nook, a a small corner of your house where you have a comfy chair and a television. Most people are not looking for spectacular HDR performance there, or more accurately, TV companies don't think there's any money to be made in that area. So it's tough, right? Because you can buy a television without an operating system or or apps. Uh, It just means buying in most cases, a professional television that's going to cost you like $17,000 for a 30-inch model that's designed to be used in calibrated environments in professional production for, say, Netflix or Paramount or Disney or, you know, insert your favorite uh, production studio here. In terms of consumers, uh, just like Rob said, they want the money. They want they want some. They want Netflix to play for a, a button on the remote. They want, you know, apps to be included. They want every opportunity to grab watching data that they can resell. And that's just the nature of the beast. My solution to this: a, I don't really run into it because I'm running projectors most of the time. But b, uh, I just plug an Apple TV or a Roku into it and just ignore everything else on the TV. You know, it fires up to HDMI one or HDMI whatever channel I need, and then uh, I set it and forget it. <laughs> I'm a Roku fanboy, so, so if it has that yeah. built into the TV, that's one thing. But you can always add a streaming stick of whatever flavor you're into to any display. That's especially great for older TVs that you may come across that have very outdated operating systems or apps built in that no longer keep up or are just sluggish right. at best to use. And what you said, too, about screen size, it is true. Once you get below, I would even say 55 inches, except for specific cases, you are really limiting yourself in terms of if you're looking for a reference quality HDR experience. Many of those TVs can do very, very compelling SDR uh, in terms of your regular TV programming. But yeah, smaller sizes typically don't translate into the highest of performance across most of the brands out there today. So if you are looking for that that extra punch, right. you really have to kind of be looking at that literally the 48 inch and above. LG will be introducing a 42 inch OLED come 2022. Oh, I forgot. That'll be well, 2022 yeah. though. So <laughs> that was supposed to be out this year as part of their A series, but now they've snuck in a B series and it's a little confusing on that end. But either way, yeah. Uh, it is what it is. For me, it's screen size. Uniformity, if you always view the screen off to the side a little bit, you're going to find the LCDs don't look nearly as good as OLEDs. And that's something you could address by using something like an articulated wall mount that allows you to just simply pull the screen out and twist it left or right or up or down just to get the viewing angle better for those scenarios where, you know, you're going to be doing some extended LCD viewing from quote unquote, not in the sweet spot. Samsung stretching display technology demo. 
I am afraid to ask what stretching means. I was too. And at first I kind of blew this one off, (laughs) but I took a dive into the story and this was featured on tech radar about a week or so ago. And Mm -hmm. at an event called global tech Korea, 2021, Samsung introduced uh, for the first time, a 13 inch display that in this YouTube clip that they show the screen depicts lava flowing and it appears to actually deform the screen surface as it flows across. Like if it's the flow is going to create like a hump, suddenly a hump right. will appear in the screen at that point. Is this practical? Not really. Is it cool? Kinda. <laughs> and granted the 13 inch screen size may make it more of a compelling technology potentially for notebooks however all display manufacturers try all sorts of cool experiments with display devices and a few of these experiments sometimes make it into actual consumer products one example of that i could pull right off the top of my head what sony introduced as their acoustic surface technology for their oled panels where the screen itself can be vibrated with actuators to create sound from the screen that was something that lg had developed in-house and said you know what this works pretty well uh we're not using it but hey if somebody wants to incorporate this and run with it a la sony they took it and ran with it. And across the board, I would say that if you want to talk audio quality on display devices today, you pay a little bit more for a Sony, but damn, their audio generally sounds pretty good, especially on their premium products. So anyway, yeah, a stretchable display. One other thing, looking at that video as well, I do not see the actual edges of the display pulling in (laughs) as if this were a solid sheet. It truly looks as if something is stretching. And of course, I forgot to mention it, but this was an OLED type display technology. Clearly, it's using some sort of a plastic based OLED or a very, very pliable material of some kind. I'm willing to bet that the individual pixels perhaps do not actually stretch, but the spacing in between them does. So it would be curious to get some really close up shots of this display to see if perhaps as it stretches out, does the, say, color desaturate or some other obvious artifact. I'm not sure what the practical application of this is, if it has any whatsoever, but it just was kind of eye-catching and something I thought I'd bring up just to share with everyone. It's a thing. Yeah, it is. (laughs) And uh, speaking of TV and TV service, I should say, my very own household here has decided to make the jump from a a long-term Comcast Xfinity set-top box experience to YouTube TV. The transition really couldn't have been easier We already have many of the popular streaming devices that are used to actually work with YouTube TV. The basic service supports up to five devices simultaneously. We ended up sticking with a 1080p plan for now, and I found the interface is something that's pretty okay. I would say that Xfinity's latest set-top boxes have a user interface that I almost prefer a little bit more. It's a little less cluttered, but it just takes a little more getting used to on the YouTube TV side. And that can all change with, you know, the next update. YouTube TV is not cheap. Uh, Our plan, I believe, starts at $70 or $65 for the 1080p plan. That seems cheap enough. (laughs) Depending on your service, that could be much less expensive, especially if you're paying for renting boxes for multiple TVs in a household. Having up to five devices simultaneously on a single plan is very, very compelling. Taking a look at the picture quality overall, it looks a little compressed to my eye, but I may be not looking at it in the 
on the very best display there is right now. And one visual oddity that I noticed, at least with 24p broadcasts, like some of the primetime mm -hmm. late night TV shows, it appears everything is pre-converted to 60 hertz. Even if you set the service itself, the YouTube TV's settings, to a native format pass-through. I'm going to take a look at that some more, but that could introduce a little bit of image artifacting in the terms of its smoothness of playback, especially if the TV's not capable of detecting that 24p original broadcast within, say, a 60 hertz progressive signal. Some TVs are very good at picking those signals apart and knowing exactly what, what it was created with and then transforming it back into what it should be. In this case, uh, I did find that some of those 24p broadcasts looked a little stuttery through that streaming service. That's not annoying. But as a first impression, it's just a, it's a simple service. It's easy. And the fact that it works on so many TVs with a single plan is terrific. And it can be a good way to save money if you can get a good deal on your internet and you're not going to blow through your caps if you have any in terms of your data plan and things like that. But otherwise, do not fear. You have, a <laughs> you have TV via the internets now if you want it. And our house is finally <laughs> taking the plunge. And hey, Comcast will always welcome you back, probably at a steep discount, should you decide YouTube TV does not work for you. <laughs> Indeed. They are getting our money for the internet service, of course, as that is still the finest one available in our rather restricted yeah. area. Portrait Displays, a.k.a. the folks that make CalMan, a.k.a. the software Robert and everyone else uses to calibrate TVs, says the Asus ProArt A1 is the first projector to gain CalMan verified certification. Uh, this is a 1920 by 1080. It's a 1080p DLP LED projector. Um, it'll take a 4K input. It does 1920 by 1080 out. Uh, it's rated at 3,000 lumens, and they're claiming 98% coverage of the sRGB color space, which is basically Rec. 709. 801 contrast ratio, quote, and I'm quoting uh, the folks over at Projector Central right here, quote, the solid state light source will last up to 30,000 hours with no maintenance necessary, unquote. That is a very, very long time for a projector. $1,500, two-year warranty. Uh, nice. What do you think, Rob? It's an LED projector. So mm -hmm. I am actually quite impressed with the fact that they're claiming, I think they said 3,000 lumens of light output. Yeah. Yeah. I doubt that's ANSI, but still, that's a decent, <laughs> that's a respectable number for any LED projector. It requires pretty careful engineering to be able to drive an LED that bright. Compared to some of the other LED projectors I've seen out there, uh, granted, actually, no, for about the same money, LG has been producing LED-based projectors for a while, and they're able to do significantly greater than 98% of sRGB, literally hitting closer to something like DCI color with their projectors. The one thing I do like about this is that yet it is another projector, and this time from the good folks at Asus, with apparently decent calibration right out of the box. It is good to see more projectors shipping with decent factory calibrated settings so folks can just pair these with a relatively standard neutral screen and get decent yeah. image quality without a lot of fuss. That should be something all manufacturers strive for. <laughs> I kind of think back to my experience with certain premium brands that are relatively raw right out of the box. And it's right. nice to see at least one of the factory presets give you something, something usable right then and there. Always a plus. It's going to be $1,500, comes with a two-year warranty. We'll keep you posted when we start seeing the reviews on those coming out. Speaking of reviews, Projector Central has a review of JVC's DLA-N7Z, the D-ILA laser projector. 
This is not an inexpensive projector uh, at $10,000, but it is running a solid state laser. It's got a three chip native 4K LCOS design and uh, outstanding black levels and contrast once they did one thing. And to find out what that thing is, go over to Projector Central and check the review. It is interesting to see lasers coming in at, at a more high-end level. We've talked a lot about ultra short throw and uh, for lasers, comparatively inexpensive projectors that have been showing up recently. Um, but this is, uh, this is kind of a big deal when you start looking at uh, HDR performance and, you know, kind of stepping up the performance of projectors as we kind of creep closer to getting uh, Dolby video. <laughs> also, too, for the, the long-term ownership of a projector like this, your laser projector yeah. is going to give you some cost savings in terms of not having to replace lamp modules on a regular basis. And I believe yeah. JVC's manufactured lamp modules tend to be a little more, more expensive than some of the competition out there. You could be spending three, 400 bucks a pop every mm -hmm. three to 4,000 hours uh, whereas with a laser design, you can avoid some of that and have longer term, more consistent imagery right out of the box. Right. Rob Sabin over at Projector Central wrote up this review. And one thing he pointed out, too, is the fact that this transition to laser appears to have sacrificed just a little bit of that epic contrast. He was talking really? about how with something like, say, the NZ7, if you have that 10 grand already, you probably want to step up to the NZ8 to get that step up in contrast or consider buying last year's lamp-based projector. I think it was the NX7 for last year. The lamp-based version of the NX7 compares favorably to the NZ8, the step-up model, right. uh, the step-up projector in terms of the contrast performance. They're pretty similar. Uh, so... While JVC has been known for their epic contrast performance, especially uh, if you have a dark room environment, this is the projector you really want. Right. If you're going to go down the 10,000 hole, you might as well consider the 15, just in case you really, really want the best performance possible. Or, like I just said, take a look at maybe at last year's model and uh, deal with lamps for a little bit longer. And I should have said Dolby Vision, not Dolby Video earlier. I don't know what that was all about. But, uh, you know, not that this is not a Dolby Vision certified projector that is still in the future. But this is like 48 gigabit HDMI 2.1, ACCP 2.3 ports, which means they can do 4K 120 hertz, which means future looking to 8K 60 hertz. Not that I particularly care about 8K, but, you know, 4K 120 is a big deal for gaming and fairly low input lag on this. That's kind of exciting. <laughs> the NZ7 also features their latest edition of their frame adaptive dynamic HDR tone mapping scheme. And that is something else to keep in mind as well. These projectors, mm -hmm. although they're not Dolby Vision compatible, one nice thing is when you are playing your HDR content, it's going to take a look at the metadata within that video and adapt that picture to give you the best possible image quality through all the titles without having to, say, make changes to the picture for movies that were authored at, say, 700 nits versus 1,000 nits versus 4,000 nits. Uh, who cares what the author of the movie <laughs> actually went with? The projector is smart enough to actually take a look at that data and then dynamically tone adapt itself give you the best right. picture possible and that i think is important especially on a high-end projector that you are going to be using for hdr content the scene has never been better in terms of that feature being adopted by more and more of the premium projectors out there yeah i like the idea also that i think they're running a yellow phosphor wheel the blue ESET module the blue laser diode array and yellow phosphor wheel to generate the red green and blue signals 
I get excited. I think this time next year, we may be discussing how JVC is introducing their version of an RGB laser projector. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, no kidding. We wait with bated breath. Uh, by the way, uh, before anybody emails, uh, came out last week, uh, Vava has their new Chroma triple laser projector, the Vava Chroma. They're calling it the world's most powerful ALPD 4.0 triple laser projector. Um, that is showing up on Indiegogo. Uh, and depending on which version you go with, it's you know 2900 to, I think, $3,500, uh, which is a 38% discount. They're expecting to sell that thing for $5,700 in the future. Um, ALPD 4.0 is essentially their laser engine. Red, blue, and green plus laser light sources. Uh, they're claiming 106% REC 2020 for the color gamut and uh, that they will have precise color accuracy. Um, should be fairly bright. Is going to have Dolby Audio of some sort packed into the box. Nice. We'll see how that tests once it ships. You're looking at somewhere in January 2022 if you get on the early bird bundle for that. So a healthy discount on that one. But again, as we've been mentioning a lot lately, yet another laser projector. <laughs> RGB laser. It's taking over, baby. Lamps are dead. Dead, Jay. I, I think there's going to be a big announcement in this area towards the middle or late of October. But I, if I talk about it, lasers will uh, blow through the ceiling of my house and vaporize me. A sound you do not want to hear. Or maybe you do, in which case, uh, not me. <laughs> we got a classic calibration question from Bai, uh, who said, Hey, I just picked up my OLED in the sale that LG is doing. Congratulations. How would you recommend I find someone to calibrate the set once it's delivered? With this big a purchase, I want to make sure it's done right. Thanks. Um, one, congrats on the new TV. Two, Robert, there is a classic solution to this problem. There is. Head on over to AVS Forum, baby. AVSforum.com. And in that wonderful website of, ah, oh, geez, sometimes Mortal Kombat and discussions of various <laughs> aspects of home theater and display technologies, you will find a section devoted to calibrators and where to find them in your local area. Anybody who is a reputable calibrator probably has their information logged in with those good folks. And it's a good, quick place to take a look. Uh, to find someone in your area. I know a lot of people who've gone with something like Best Buy Geek Squad calibrations. And generally, they do a pretty good job for the money. However, when it comes to the LG OLEDs, one of the biggest features of them is their ability to program the lookup tables individually, literally perfectly calibrate the individual presets for your SDR, HDR, Dolby Vision, uh, any other game formats you want have those saved directly into the TV itself. And generally you're gonna need a calibrator with the correct software and capable meters that I doubt Geek Squad's using unless they call in a specialist for more money. But overall, I, uh, that's a wonderful TV. I absolutely love working on them. One final tip I would give as well would be don't calibrate it until you put at least 100 hours on it, like about 100, 120 mm -hmm. minimum. One that gets you past that 30 days, usually the initial break-in. Also, if anything goes wrong in that first 30 days or, or there is something, a flaw in the TV of some kind, it is simple to, to pay simply... to recalibrate. That's the thing. <laughs> Just make sure that that set is the one and it's going to stay there for a good long time. Then get it calibrated. And you'll be pleased as punch when you see the image quality, particularly in a light-controlled <laughs> environment. 
Those are yeah. the displays that are used by so many of the content creators out there and people actually editing color on color calibrated LG OLEDs. It is a fantastic platform. And I just adore that contrast level. It is awfully nice. A beautiful thing. Yeah. Neil emailed ask at avxl.com. He says, hey, guys, not exactly audio gear, but I figured I'd ask, do you have any high-end recommendations for earplugs for loud environments like concerts? Neil started with the foam ones, which sucked because they muffled everything. So he's tried eargasm earplugs, but he didn't think they were a lot better. He's currently using erasers. And he says, obviously, my goal is a flat response curve, just everything a bit more quiet than an open ear. And uh, he mentions that the erasers are, are rated at negative 19 dB. He wouldn't be upset if they didn't attenuate quite so much. He wants to hear everything as well as he can. And he says, I've melted my ears enough time in the early 2000s with shows that were too loud and me too close. Shout outs to Tool 2001 Lateralist Tour and Pearl Jam's 2003 Riot Act Tour. And I'm pretty sure I never fully recovered, not to mention the effects of Father Time. Thanks as always. Big fan of the show and all the work you guys do. Neil. First of all, this is a really good question because one, not losing your hearing is clutch. And two, there's a ton of hearing loss, especially in young people, though the majority of that is due to long hours of exposure to too high volumes and earbuds and headphones turned up to 11. And three, it never hurts to remind folks to use hearing protection because a few minutes at high volume can permanently damage your hearing. Uh, in fact, you know, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, for example, by the ass end of a jet airplane, not that many people end up there, you can really much just, you know, it's physically painful and you can flatline your hearing in seconds if the volume's high enough. The lower the volume, the longer the exposure you can have to it around 85 dB is is technically where people are comfortable for that six, eight hour a day exposure. I think for most people, it'd be better to be lower because... You know, as we learn more, uh, you know, as as time goes by, as with everything, they tend to lower the recommended exposure or the recommended volume. It's really good to use hearing protection, and especially in some smaller concert environments where you have very, very loud PAs in concrete block rooms that are very, very small. As a matter of fact, I'm actually looking for earplugs that work better for concerts than my foam ones uh, in case I can find a ticket to Bob Mould in Illinois or St. Louis when he's touring later in October. Um, there nice. is no flat response on earplugs. Let me just say that flat out. The flattest response you're going to get comes from custom molded earplugs. Um, and, uh, you know, they are vastly better than any over-the-counter option. Uh, at least they're significantly more flat. Lauren Dragon has a great write-up on the wire cutter, the best earplugs for concerts, along with writing up headphones for them. She has radio experience. She is a voiceover artist. She's very, very serious about hearing protection, probably even more serious than I am, which is kind of impressive. They have links to some very, very cool demo uh, recordings from Brian Fliegor. Uh, he's a uh, he, you know, PhD, PASE, founder and president of the Boston Audiology Consultants and the Musician's Hearing Program. He's the chair of the World Health Organization's Make Listening Safe Initiative. Uh, so this is someone who's, you know, this is someone who has taken some time to put something together very, very useful. You can literally hear recordings of a couple of songs with no earplugs, uh, through deep foam earplugs, through Universal Fit Edemotic ER20s, and then custom-made ed Edemotics. Uh, the ER20s are 20 dB. The custom-made Edemotics are, uh, uh, you know, negative 15 dB earplugs. Um, and you can get an idea of, like, what you can possibly hear 
right up to the point where you're spending like $300 for a set of earplugs, uh, for custom fitted earplugs. I think that's what the price is now. I need to check that out. Um, properly fitted earplugs are critical. If they don't seal, they don't work. If they don't work, they don't protect your hearing. Uh, the two recommended uh, products they have are Loop, which sell for about $25, and then uh, Decibels, which essentially you boil, I exaggerate slightly, but you you know it's kind of like making a mouthpiece. You heat up the material, you press it in place, and then you have a, a homemade custom-fitted uh, earbud. Uh, check the article out. That's the wire cutter best earplug for concerts because they talk about the professionally molded options, what they cost, the difference between those and their picks, and then how to make their picks operate best. It is a very, very, very good article and well worth the time to go see. Save your hearing for as long yeah. as you can. <laughs> it ain't coming back. <laughs> and also, as you mentioned to Father Time, by the time you're in your 40s, 15, 16,000 hertz is the highest it gets. And I run into a lot of people that are down everything below 12 to 13 hertz. You can have notches in your hearing where there is radical reduction in particular frequencies, uh, frequency ranges. And there's, you know, they have a chart, I think, up on the, the Wirecutter article where they show a 40-year-old person who has consistently worn hearing protection and a professional musician who has not. And they've pretty much wiped out the range of the human voice by not using hearing protection and that is bad uh, for anyone uh, especially as you get older because it becomes harder and harder to hear people over time so please protect your hearing don't run headphones too loud for too long don't blow your hair back uh, <laughs> save it for later your home stereo yeah. save a little bit for later trust me seriously <laughs> you're gonna live longer than you think you will oh um <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Bob emailed, and I love this, Bob. Thank you. This was the subject line, Space Toilet. Hey, you asked, with a link to an Overlook Horizon YouTube video, quote, does the SpaceX Crew Dragon have a toilet? It is a brilliant look at the history of what I will call evacuating yourself in space. Listener Bob says, I love to serve. This was brilliant. I can't wait to show it to my boys. And uh, if you want an education on dealing with number one and number two in the cold, dark reaches of outer space. Just search YouTube for does a SpaceX crew dragon have a toilet? Just going to leave that right there. <laughs> I did see for the latest um, SpaceX mission with the crew capsule that they will be doing some upgrades to the toilet on board. They use the word toilets, implying that they're going to add a second one, maybe as a backup, just in case. In addition to adding, I believe they said an oven, I don't know if that'll be just a microwave oven or what, but they're going to make it more cozy for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I, am, oh my I am curious. <laughs> Got to get it As done. Am I. If you're going to spend, you know, oh my goodness. a long weekend in space. Yeah. Oh. In a single room <laughs> being shared. <laughs> that system has Two to work. Two is one. <laughs> one is none. Oh my goodness. And, you know, there's always somebody who's going to squat on that toilet for too long. That's far too far rude even for us hey I want to give a shout out to, uh, my wife got us into watching the morning show on apple tv plus uh one strange live tv flashbacks uh from my childhood uh at tech tv which was not my childhood but seems so long ago jennifer aniston reese witherspoon billy crudup really really amazing billy crudup is like the ultimate managerial chaos muppet i'll just say that right there 
super intense, not a lighthearted thing, although there are a lot of laughing moments. And I also want to give a shout out to Martin Short, who is utterly terrifying, um, <laughs> which is not something I normally associate with Martin Short, uh, who is usually sweet and endearing and weird and funny as hell. But he gets uh, some really creepy moments uh, in this show. Also, uh, shout out to Hilda, which is on Netflix. Uh, just won a daytime Emmy. And uh, my boys just discovered this one. It's uh, based on a series of graphic novels. It's got an anime feeling. And it follows the adventures of a fearless blue-haired girl. And it also has uh, a dog deer, a deer dog, a deer fox. Not a deer dog. It's a deer fox. Just uh, the funniest reference to bureaucratic paperwork and elves. I just want to lay that out there. And other things. There are giants. And moving to a city from the country and mayhem. Hilda's most excellent. So I just want to give a shout out to that. That one's on Netflix. I ended up firing up uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator. If you haven't checked it out in the last few weeks, September was a good month for that program in the sense that they updated everything. Uh, everything received an update. The download simulator is awaiting you to uh, spend a good hour just getting all the files updated. But if you do and you have the hardware, you're going to be rewarded with what I think is the best image quality so far in that game. I personally love flying around with the real-time settings on as far as ATC traffic and the weather and even a simulated street traffic environment. Just overall, the whole scenario, everything looks cleaner. The ground textures look right now. The models have been updated. They've added many more cities with, is it photogrammetry, where they actually take photos of areas and then use that to help create even more detailed environments to go peruse through and fly around. And the worldwide right. nature, having the world on your computer for the price of a couple of, probably a couple of, probably a couple hundred gigs of storage space is pretty nice. However, even that is still not enough, as you still need to enable live streaming of data in order to do the uh, photogrammetry, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Sounds like you're pronouncing it correctly. I should probably look that word up. But anyway, if you haven't checked it in a while, or you have, uh, just realize those updates are live, and they look fantastic. And I'm finally going oh. through the training tutorials. I promised myself that, if nothing else, I'm going to get through that and have some basic understanding of aircraft <laughs> control. <laughs> Random thoughts. Uh, I was rewatching Blade Runner 2049 the other day. I like that movie. Man, what a spectacular workout for the uh, subwoofers on your system. Oh, yeah, the audio, <laughs> without a doubt. We mentioned it before, but that is yeah. frequently listed as one of the best movies to show off, like a Dolby Atmos setup as well. Oh, my goodness. It is really really impressive with that ladies and gentlemen uh at patrick norton at robert heron at av excel are places to find us on twitter if you like a hashtag hashtag ask av excel works for us and uh, as always if you want to email us email ask at avxl.com a big shout out to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash avxl got a hangout coming up next week so please join us for that and uh, as I've mentioned before, and I'll say it again, thank you, thank you, thank you for your support at patreon.com slash avxl. You make this show possible. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL. <laughs>